Welcome to the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences Residency Preparation Course Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Clemens. My doctorate is in education. I'm the Assistant Dean for Medical Education and also a faculty member in the Department of Medical Humanities and Bioethics. Our guests today are Matt Quick, MD, Carly Easton, MD, and Diane Jarrett, EdD. Our discussion today centers on teaching and specifically the topic of evidence-based education in the clinic with a focus on several relevant articles. Weedman and Baker, The Cognitive Science of Learning, Concepts and Strategies for the Educator and Learner, and Farmer et al., Questioning Aid for Rich Real-Time Discussion, a tool to improve critical thinking in clinical settings. Starting with a question of relevance, from your perspective, why is evidence-based education in the clinic important for medical students who will soon be transitioning to residency? Carly? Yes. I think new interns um, don't realize how early on in their training they will be educators and that people will be looking up to them as um, learners and educators, but they, they should really understand how to be teaching from day one. Um, and it's really hard to do. It's not something that comes easily to everyone, um, but it's really something that is universal among interns and residents in training. Um, so having a good understanding of how to teach and most importantly, how not to teach is really important. Thank you. Matt? Uh, really, I, I don't know that I can add too much uh, to that sentiment, you know, that, that Carly said. It, it's really important to, for a resident to consider the fact that uh, they're now in charge of a group of medical students, right? And, and a, lot of, uh, a lot of us, when we are medical students, we, we look up to these residents and we think, wow, you know, there are some that are great examples of, of wonderful teachers. There's awards for them at graduation every year. Um, there's a reason for that. And, and you know, as, as future residents, one of the things that you should strive to be is that resident for those medical students that are going to follow you. And so understanding what will make you a more effective teacher um, can help you to achieve those goals. I mean, you don't want people walking around thinking, man, you know, I, I, this person's really nice and everything, but I can't listen to them explain anything. Um, you know, so you, you want to try to avoid that eventuality. So understanding how to deliver material to someone in a way that they can benefit from it is, is really important. And it starts, it's going to start day one in residency because, uh, you know, those third year medical students that are in clinic with you don't see you as uh, a day one intern. They see you as doctor, whatever your name is. So you're going to have to know that stuff going forward. Thank you, Diane. Yes, I am the Assistant Director of the Family Medicine Residency Program. And one thing I frequently see with recent medical school graduates beginning residency is that they're just not ready for the transition uh, from a student who's, who's kind of passive and trying to please people to being a physician who is now in charge of their own patients and doing things like teaching medical students and, and so forth. It is just a huge shift in mindset that I think catches some folks kind of by surprise. And I always encourage medical students 
rethink what you're doing. Think about how you learn, think about how you want to teach. And remember, you're in charge now in a lot of things. You have more autonomy now than you've ever had. And that can take some people a little time to get accustomed to, but that's okay. Um, and I found that these articles were very helpful as far as how people learn and, and from there, how you can teach and how you can use that information to be an effective teacher. Thanks, Diane. That is a perfect segue to our next question related to the readings. So from the readings, what stood out to you as important takeaways for medical students who will soon be transitioning to residency? Well, one thing that I found, and this is Diane, by the way, one thing that I found from the Weedman article was some interesting information on performance orientation versus learning orientation. And I think that's good to understand both from your own learning, but also from your teaching. Um, a performance orientation style is more like um, trying to learn something and then thinking, oh, maybe I'm just not good at this. And the feedback that I'm getting is not very positive. It's actually kind of discouraging even. So that's kind of a performance orientation. The learning orientation is a mindset more like, well, <clears throat> I'm maybe not doing so great on this, but it's because I just don't know how to do it yet. So I've just got to work on it, practice on it, ask questions. I love feedback. It's very beneficial in helping me. So if you can kind of think, okay, is this person coming from a performance side or from a learning side? That can help you as a teacher to give feedback that is helpful. And I can give you one quick example of this. One time a few years ago, we had some residents uh, participating in a workshop where they were learning some hands-on procedures. The faculty member who was leading it was really good and was doing a great job and the residents were struggling to learn it. One resident in particular called me over and said, I can't do this. I just can't do this, I'm terrible. Look how good he is. So I called the faculty member over and I asked, how long have you been doing this kind of thing? And he said, 30, 35 years. And I looked at the resident and I said, and you've been doing it 30 minutes. So do you really think you should be as good? I don't think that had crossed her mind. And she said, you're right, I, I can't be that good yet. So. Again, performance orientation, learning orientation. I think she made the change and that was helpful. So for medical students who are about to become teachers, keep in mind, your feedback may be accepted in different ways depending on that learner's orientation. I think one thing I noticed or kind of took away from the readings is that um, when trying to apply it as a thinking back as a brand new intern, um, I think new interns are worried about um, not being experts in whatever topic they're trying to teach. So like if they have a third year medical student, they're thinking, okay, I don't know everything about this topic, therefore I can't teach it. But when you look about, when you read about cognitive overload and the different types of overload and the fact that that intern is still learning material, which is cognitive loading and trying to teach it at the same time. And you really don't have to teach every aspect of that particular topic. You can pick one thing, which will not only reduce the burden of the teacher, which is the new intern and who's scared about teaching the wrong thing, but also the medical student, you know, you only really need to teach one point. For me, the one thing that stood out the most, my favorite thing was actually this was table three in the uh, Weedman article on page 1597. If you look at that, I, I think what it does, it does two things. For me, it looks, I look at it now because I'm an old person and um, 
got many gray hairs and I look at it and I go, oh, this validates the way that we teach uh, in residency. But I think the important thing to look at coming into residency uh, would be that this is the mechanism or these are the mechanisms that you will use to be an effective teacher as you go forward. But it's also some of the things that you should avoid, like, you know, cognitive overload uh, and stuff like that. So what it does is, you know, when you read these, first off, you know, it, it tells you, look, this is how when you're explaining a, a complex topic to someone, say, I don't know, a third year medical student, this is how you should approach it. You should break it down into little parts. You should wait a while then you should ask them to summarize it. Uh, maybe the next day on rounds, if you notice something that relates to it, you should ask them about it. Um, but these things are things that you're naturally going to do through the process of being a resident. Uh, it's going to become imbued in you. I mean, it, it's just going to be who you are. Uh, even if you think, and, and it's important too in this way to, to think about it this, this way, you think, oh, you know what? I'm not going to do academics. I'm going to go work in a strip mall in Tacoma, Washington, and I'm not going to do anything like that. Well, guess what? you're gonna to have to teach things to your patients too, because otherwise they're not gonna to listen to you if they don't understand what you're saying about what they should do about their health. Uh, and all of these things actually work in, in educating patients about their health as well. So these are things that, that you will get exposed to through residency. And, and the great thing is, is, is just like Carly was saying, you're, you don't have to be the expert day one. Uh, you don't even have to be the expert at the end of your residency. Uh, maybe someday down the line, after you've been in practice for a while, you'll consider yourself an expert. Um, but it's it's a process. Be don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Um, if you have that learning orientation, right, uh, then you won't be afraid to fail and to make mistakes, and you'll actually learn more from your mistakes than you actually realize. And so you learn to relish those times when you're wrong because it sticks out in your brain. I could give a lot of examples, but I won't because they're embarrassing. <laughs> From your own perspective, could you tell us about your personal experience with evidence-based education in a clinical setting? Yeah, um, I'd be happy to talk about my personal experience in clinical settings. It's interesting because when I started off, you know, I was, I was intimidated by this because I was supposed to uh, be in private practice and living on a boat um, somewhere that obviously didn't happen, um, but that's a completely different podcast for a completely different time. So um, I was thrown into, you know, now, now I'm teaching, right? And um, that was very intimidating to me because I considered, my, I'm, I consider myself a rather simple-minded person, um, which actually ended up playing to my advantage because what I tried to do was overcomplicate things. Um, and so what I see is a lot of the errors that I made early on were the errors that they talk about avoiding here, where you just kind of like just dump mass amounts of material onto whoever's learning it uh, in an attempt to, one, feel good about yourself for knowing all these things, and two, impress them with your knowledge, and three, educate them, right? Usually kind of in that order, uh, which a lot of teachers are kind of guilty of. I've, I've found that, you know, one, they want to sound smart, and they want to prove that they know this material, uh, which is a mistake in teaching, right? The first thing you should always consider is the needs of your learner. Uh, I wasn't doing that. And so, uh, you know, that's what I learned early on was that you have to uh, take into account the needs of your learner. So what I learned to do instead was instead of trying to worry about sounding like I knew what I was talking about and having as much information as possible into the time period to spread things out, to, to diffuse it, to make it more digestible, 
um, to think about maybe if it's a lecture, what three things do they do I want them to know? If it's just we're sitting around a microscope talking about a case, what is the big takeaway from this case? Not what 10 things can they learn from it? Um, and then you think about that in, in the way that residency is constructed, uh, it's, it's a series of interactions. You have more than one time to teach this information. You don't have to teach it all at once. You're going to have 10, 15, 20 or more interactions centered on this same topic over the next four, five, six years. So don't feel that you need to force it all into the first one. Spread it out. Uh, make it appropriate for their uh, stage. If you've got a mixed group, then you're going to have to address each one of them. And that gets a little bit more complicated, but you'll get good at that too. But I think that's my takeaway from it was don't overthink it. Don't overcomplicate it. Um, people will appreciate that you don't. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Um, keep it simple, definitely. Um, the other experience that I've had in my growth kind of as an educator over the last 10 years is um, that that hated word called pimping and um, kind of transitioning away from that method of teaching to the more Socratic method, which is more kind of aligns with that card um, tool, which is kind of probing and, you know, making people apply what they learn and, and uh, making people make predictions based off of what they're learning, not necessarily just regurgitating facts. Um, you know, when I trained, pimping was used all the time and it's basically, you know, rapid, rapid, uh, rapid fire questioning to see what the learner knows. And it's really relatively fact-based. It doesn't really actually see what they know and how they can apply it to patient care. So I would, my own experience has been getting away from that. And when people get stressed out or they're, or they're overwhelmed, they'll, I feel like people go back to that method because they, that's the easiest thing to do. But as an educator, you really want to try to avoid that just pimping method. And for me, it's been much more enjoyable and educational, even for myself to go to that more, um, creating more depth in the educational experience. And it, and back to Matt's um, point is it doesn't have to be this like very extensive educational session. It can be one point um, or one overarching thing, theme that you're learning, um, but using it, using the method of, you know, avoiding just fact regurgitation and actually applying um, even small uh, learning tips is, is the way to go because your learners are going to enjoy it more. You're going to enjoy it more. And it avoids that kind of humiliation part of pimping. Yeah. And I'd like to follow that up with the importance of feedback and that's feedback on ser several different levels. When you're teaching, especially when you're a new teacher, just out of med school, it can be difficult to give feedback to learners, especially if maybe they're not doing so well. So you've got to learn to have a certain comfort level with pointing out when people have missed something or they're doing something wrong, however you want to put it. And sometimes that's difficult at the beginning to the extent that some new teachers never give any constructive feedback. It's always, oh, you did great. That was wonderful. Good job. When in fact, they really need some help. You're just not comfortable providing that help. So that's one way you have to learn to, to give feedback, but you also need to ask for feedback, ask for evaluation from your learners, 
see what's working well, see what's not working well. You maybe think you're doing great while your learners are sitting there wondering, what is she talking about? And if you don't ask for feedback or evaluation, you won't know. I can give you another story. This one's kind of embarrassing. I was taking a public speaking class and I gave a speech that I thought was excellent, beautifully written, well, uh, well presented, great. I got some feedback at the end though, that I did most of the speech at the front of the room, standing on one leg, like a stork. I don't know why. I had no realization I was doing that. And it was exceedingly distracting to the learners. So it's not always that obvious of feedback, but you need to ask for feedback on your teaching and take it to heart and do better. Thank you. What and advice? Realize, I, I do have one follow-up comment to that. And realize, and like she said, not all of your feedback will be positive. And it's it's um, very discouraging as an educator to get negative feedback, but that is the nature of teaching. And that will be part of just all of the feedback you get. And um, what you should really try to do is learn from it. No, don't take it personally, just try to learn from it. Yeah, it's not personal. And, and I, it's, after a while you kind of get numb to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Agree. And the implementation of, of growth mindset related to yourself as an educator in clinical settings, I think is, is really valuable. What advice would you give to medical students who will soon be residents on the topic of evidence-based education, specifically in clinical settings and clinical teaching, just-in-time teaching, et cetera? No, I think, you know, um, in looking at this, you may think that you know, the whole purpose of, of these articles of this podcast is for you to get it right the first time um, or to just to know all this, right, to, to know all this stuff in your core that the, when you start day one, um, that's not going to be the case. Um, so, you know, I guess my, my message is when you're starting off is be aware of these things um, and make your mistakes and teach the way that you're comfortable teaching at first uh, and make small changes, right? And, and so, you know, modifying your teaching style can't be done overnight. Uh, everybody does kind of have, in my opinion, like an innate teaching style. We've all explained things to people throughout all of our life. Um, so you have a teaching style. You may not know it yet. Um, don't look to alter everything at once. You know, don't pull this article out and say, like, I must change all of these things and do this immediately now to be the best teacher possible. Now, just like the article says, take baby steps, you know, um, think about the questions you're asking. Try to make better questions. Uh, think about the, the way that you present the information, uh, things like that. And if you do it, it's a lot less intimidating um, and it's a lot more manageable. And I think you'll enjoy it more when you put less pressure on yourself uh, to be an educator. It's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that happens over a year. Uh, it's something that's going to take, you know, a long time to develop. But if you do it, you know, and you're, you're thoughtful about it, uh, you can really enjoy it. And it can, uh, it can be a wonderful thing to have. Uh, as part of your medical career. I always like to point out that the audience is on your side. They want you to do well. They want you to be interesting and engaging and a good teacher. And uh, they're, they're cheering for you from the audience. And I always tell our residents, when you get up to do presentations, when you're teaching medical students, don't think, uh-oh, they're just waiting for me to trip up. It's not that at all. We've all been through presentations that maybe weren't that good, and that's not a good feeling, 
But if you think about it, at the beginning, you were very positive, thinking, yeah, here I am, let's go for it. And I think your audience usually is very, very supportive of you. And uh, keep that in mind, that gives you some, some courage to do well. Uh, that's really great advice from both of you. I um, agree with all of that. And I wanna add, um, also remember that you are a team with the students that you're teaching and um, remember that they are people too and that try to remember how you felt at that stage of learning. Um, it, try to remove that hierarchy between intern and medical student or resident and medical student. Just remember that you're all a team and you're working together to help that patient. And so that will help you kind of break down barriers and remember that, you know, what is the overall goal? Um, it's for everyone to learn together. And um, even if you aren't teaching specifically, like this is not a teaching, you know, a five minute teaching session, um, the students are gonna be watching you and they're gonna be watching how you interact with people and how you interact with them. And so remembering that you're a team and that you respect them and, and expect and give them things to do and make them feel like a valuable part of the team um, will help you be an educator even without putting in the effort of actually teaching a specific point. That's an excellent point about your overall interactions being a source of education in the clinic, even if it's not thought of as a, a purposeful educational session. Thank you to our guests today and our listeners. We hope that you'll be able to join us for another episode of the UMS Residency Preparation Course podcast. Take care.